listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Alex, Sam, Jory, and Annalise. Thank you for your money. We're using it to do fun things. It's true. It's true. I haven't used it at all yet, but uh, <laughs> but Joe tells me all about it, and it's really fun. The fun things that we do. If we want to be very, very honest with our listeners, yeah, no, all of the money goes to me because I ever everything's in my name and all of the things that we pay for. And I like just today I did a Patreon payout that went into my bank account. So that's important. No, I'm cool with it. If you people think that Ethan needs more money, let me know and we'll talk I mean, about it. I mean, I do, but I don't need it from the Patreon. That's fair. That's fair. If you would like to help us have even more money, if you've got $5 or more a month to spare, you can join us over on Patreon and help us do fun stuff like go on the road. We have already made some merch, so we don't have to say that anymore. <laughs> I also like I also like how you phrased it. If you want us to have even more money, <laughs> like as if we're like swimming in money. We have a whole pool of it and we're just in the dollar bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you join our supporters over on Patreon, you also get access to our patron-only podcast feed, which has exciting bonus content, and the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk. Uh, in this past week, what did we talk about? I gotta write it down so I Uh-oh. know. It's the first sign to let you know the spark is diminished. Don't even remember <laughs> what he's saying don't even remember ian doesn't listen to me sometimes and i i told a whole story about how i at this one time in edinburgh i thought that people were listening to me so i was like looking out and like observing an event but talking and Mm -hmm. like halfway through the story i was telling one of my friends is like who are you talking to because they just stopped listening to me (laughs) and ian made me repeat the story because he stopped listening to me (laughs) That's funny. It was That's funny. so vicious. Um, oh, we talk about mic drop moments. That's oh, like, okay. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, so it would be great if we could think of one, but like together between the two of us, we did not think of any single individual mic drop moments. We just talked about our anti-mic drop moments, as in the times that we uh, did something so cringy, it's like we picked the <laughs> microphone up off the ground and placed it back and walked away from the stage. It attempted to do it again. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, okay. I think it's funny. I think it's a good one. So that's, listen to that. That sounds good. Yeah. If you're not in a position to support us financially, there are still ways that you can help us out. You can subscribe to us in the podcasting app of your choice, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share us on the platform of your choice, or follow us on Twitter or Facebook, or just keep listening because that is good too. That's right. And now, on to the show. One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, this week on the podcast, we have DeAndre, who is another fellow pastor, acquaintance of mine from my time in Western North Carolina. We've just been going through them. We had Wayner, we had Nicole, we're just we're getting all the big names who also does a lot of vitality stuff. And so I'm excited to get into all that you're doing. Uh, So DeAndre, introduce yourself and as much information as you'd like to share with our listeners. 
All right. I'm DeAndre. Um, I live in the city of Atlanta. I'm, I'm married to Cherie. She's a psychologist. I have a four-year-old, Isabella. Um, I drive up to Western North Carolina on the weekends for the, for the time being. I pastor Snow Hill and Iola uh, United Methodist Churches there, both uh, rural, older, white congregation, both with strong legacy and, and you know, good potential for the future, and uh, operate a, a business or two in the city of Atlanta, during the week, those those churches uh, that charges a part time appointment, and so I have time to fill my day with you know with other things that I that I enjoy doing, and um, yeah, I've been at Snow Hill and Iola uh, interim in twenty uh, twenty, appointed in twenty uh, in twenty twenty one. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know that if you were official yet or not. So that's exciting. Yeah, in twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, I preached for DeAndre one time at his charge. And uh, I preached a sermon about uh, adultery and divorce. So I, I'm sure they loved me. <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, Ethan also has, uh, is Andrea still four? Has she turned five yet? She's four. So you both have little four-year-olds. You can Fun pick age. up bad yep. stuff. So DeAndre, how did you, uh, you have business and you have ministry. And I want to talk about how those go together. Cause we often talk about ministry as a job, like mm -hmm. that this is a, you need to think of it as a job. Otherwise you will get taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see if that kind of, if that sits well with you, but how did you get into ministry in the first place? Like what, what made you go down this road of, yes, I want to lead a church. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my background, is not Methodist. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a non-denominational church. With its, it leaned charismatic in Church of God in Christ. And uh, so when I was about 12 years old, you know, my call story is that, that we had a guest preacher there. And, um, you know, mid-sermon, he kind of broke, broke away from the text and look at, looked at me, pointed me out in the crowd and said, God is calling you to preach the gospel. And, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> went back to the text. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, th that's one thing. But at that time, you know, the, I had a knowing that, man, I'm going to have to do that one day. <laughs> Not that I get to do that, but like, I'm going to have to, going to have to do that one day. And I had kind of mixed feelings at 12 years old, you know, kind of, uh, kind of navigating through that, but that, I think that was a pretty solid confirmation. And so, you know, I went through, um, kind of went through my, my early years knowing that, and in my tradition, um, you know, you would have a conversation with your pastor, um, you would undergo some training, you would have your, your trial sermon, then, you know, if you prove to be fit, you know, a year or so, a couple of years later, you, you'd be ordained. And this was regardless of any kind of, you know, seminary education or education at all. It was a knowing and, uh, and a trusting that the, con con that the congregation would extend to um, a person who had been called and they would identify as a called person. And so I kind of entered into the ministry that way, doing youth ministry. Um, it wasn't until later that I went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, I didn't go knowing that for some folks, this was kind of a career track. I didn't know that you went to this seminary if you were Methodist and they'd give you a job and you went to this seminary if you were, I had no idea at all. I just chose what I thought was a good school to go kind of learn some more about, you know, um, God. And, you know, of course you get to seminary and you learn that this is not just about God, this is about history and anthropology. And, and you know, if it's, you know, if, a, if it's a well-rounded seminary, a little bit about science, a little bit about a whole lot of stuff. And so, yeah, I just, I just wanted to go learn. And I went back to pastoring that non-denominational church that I led. My wife uh, moved up, we moved up to uh, Western North Carolina, you know, for her career purposes. 
And um, while I was there, I met folks uh, working for the Foundation for Evangelism. I met folks who were Methodist. And uh, I met the district superintendent at the time who was uh, uh, Reverend Linda Kelly. And she was a kind and is a kind and wise soul. And we began to discern maybe my pastoral career isn't over, you know, after 10 years of pastoring in Atlanta. And uh, um, there was a, a space for me at Snow Hill and Iola. They didn't have a pastor at the time. Um, they needed an interim and I was interim and then finally was was appointed there. That's the, that's the that's the long story told quickly <laughs> of kind of how I am, where I am um, in ministry. And so I, I didn't I never went into it as a, as a career. But, uh, you know, and so I, I don't necessarily approach it that way, because I know there are times when I will be paid well and there will be times where I'll be poorly compensated and I'm kind of in it for however it goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. That's such a story. Um, I, I I'm so thankful for Linda. Linda it was, is, I assume still just a great judge of character and yep. is so good at pulling people together to make things yep. happen. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad that she roped you in into yeah. the Methodist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, it, it's such a different trajectory than uh, both Ethan and I have as people who mm -hmm. went to seminary to be pastors. Mm -hmm. Like we, uh, nobody ever pointed at me and told me to do this. So, so maybe I should have <laughs> waited for that confirmation. <laughs> but yeah, there are plenty of people who are like, you know, I think that you, you should think about ministry. Like we, mm -hmm. we tell a lot of young people in the United Methodist church that regardless oh, of wow. whether they should or not, you know, oh, it's, wow. a, it's something that get, that gets said. Um, and then we go off and get our seminary debt and become bitter pastors. <laughs> That's what happens a lot. Uh, so I like your story a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> it still has a debt part in there so far, you well, know, but we'll, we'll get past that. Hopefully. <laughs> Ethan, do you have a question you want to jump in with? I've seen you nodding a lot, but I don't know if you have a. No, I'm just listening right now. That's how it always goes, DeAndre. Anytime we have a guest, I'm like, great. Where, where did you go to seminary, Ethan? Uh, we went to Wesley. I went to okay. Wesley. Okay, so cool, cool. Yeah, okay, cool. In DC, yeah. yeah. Um, which was uh, such an interesting experience for me because I got there in 2016. And mm -hmm. so um, it was an interesting time to be in, in Washington, D.C. I, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Went to a lot of protests, carried a lot of signs. Um, but Wesley has a um, it's the nation's most diverse seminary. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has a substantial I mean, it's probably still what, 60 percent white. Um, mm -hmm. But then it's about 30 percent black and 10 percent Korean and then throw in some other percentages for Latinx people and indigenous people. And mm -hmm. that's about where we're at. Um, and so we would have a lot of uh, conversations, especially with our classmates who are black and coming from more charismatic Methodist backgrounds or even mm -hmm. not Methodist backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, several, several of my classmates have stories like yours that are wow. somebody like stopped and looked at them and said, you were going to go do this. Um, and they were just there kind of following that call that was placed on their life. So, um, but it, it is always kind of striking to me. I, I mean, we also have other white friends who are more charismatic, but that tradition in black churches mm -hmm. of like um, really being thoughtful about, about the youth and like the call that God can kind of place on you and, mm -hmm. and using that, that movement of the spirit in a really thoughtful yeah. way. Yeah. We don't see that a lot in white churches. So yeah. I don't know if that's a, if that's me being anecdotal, but that's what kind of struck me as you were talking. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been kind of leaning into that more, you know, ironically at, at, at the churches where I serve, you know, there's this, um, you know, there's this, this bulletin that's really important, you know, to, to us um, from week to week. And then, you know, there is the meeting, you know, after church that's really important for us to week to weekend. And it's kind of like, okay, the religion, the spiritual, the spirituality, um, the move of God is programmed. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, of course, there's some odd stuff that can happen in churches where, that are kind of, kind of overly, you know, um, unstructured, you know, you can tell somebody they're called and they could be called to something that's not pastoring, you know? And so, uh, but yeah, I've been leaning into, um, um, kind of that part of my background because, um, to me, that's a part of exposure to exposing folks to a, um, a different way of discerning a different way of experiencing, um, the, what we call the presence of God in the space and place at a particular time. And so it's kind of part of, of what I've been exploring, um, yeah. while I'm here at Snow Hill and, and, and Iola. Had they had a cross-racial appointment before, or are you their first Black pastor? This is the first um, in their histories, the first in the district of 65 churches, actually. And so <laughs> they were pioneers. I don't know if they signed up, if that was the, what they signed up for. I think they needed a pastor at the time. And, I, you know, I was, I, you know, I was cool enough for them, you know, and so, uh, and so, and so here we are. So it's, it's a first for them. Definitely a first for me, too, you know, but I think it was, uh, it was definitely providential. It was good timing for both of us. It was at the height of um, everything that was upside down in the country. Not saying that it's right side up right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was an interesting time to be to be there, you know, in in the middle of it all. Yeah. So I talked last week with Nicole about being the first woman pastor at an appointment mm-hmm. and kind of the wow. the barriers that you break with that. Is, do you have wisdom or insight in being the uh, the first unexpected person in their pulpit. I did. Is there, have you had a lot more um, conversations about race or do you not talk about it at all? Like how do you hand, I, and you can feel free to ignore these questions yeah. at all if no, you don't no. want to, but no, I'm no. Fasc- like, these are these tiny little white churches and mm-hmm. I am fascinated at how you work there because you work so well there. Thank you. Well, um, you know, um, I try to do a lot during the preaching moment Mm. and I try to do it gracefully um, and lovingly because there are a lot of areas that we can dig in and uncover and discover um, that the gospel provides context for us to do so. But the thing is that they may have not heard, experienced, dissected and applied the gospel in a way that informs, you know, those social uh, positions that they may have, um, those racial um, those racial perspectives that they may have and don't even know that they have. And so it's kind of like, you know, by the grace of God, just doing surgery every Sunday um, mm. and uh, and uh, just being sensitive about what I need to lean into and what I don't need, need to lean into. And um, and, you know, you, you, you know, this, <laughs> you know, this that, um, that most folks don't have courage to have conversations. And so those conversations don't happen as often as, you know, one may think they do. Um, um, and so a lot of the difficulties, if there are any difficulties, I don't know how I would characterize them as, as difficulties. It is in the um, not knowing, the comments that folks make that may have a kind of a twinge of um, hmm, <laughs> unwelcome or unknowing or, you know, mm-hmm. you know maybe not ignorance, but um, of being unaware of history. 
in, uh, in current realities. And so it's me just having the courage to ask questions after the statement is made. And frankly, you know, I, I have to I have to read up to learn more about me and my own history so that I can be properly informed and, and, and be able to engage um, in these kind in these conversations, not just anecdotally, but being able to kind of cite history. Because, you know, as, as a, as a um, you know, as a person who is um, categorized as a minority in a space, there's some knowings that you carry with you that you, mm. you that maybe that you haven't always um, explicitly expressed because you haven't had to. And so uh, I've had to, you know, more equip myself to be able to um, explain some of the things that I've never had to explain before. And so those conversations don't happen as much as you think they do. But when they do, it's because I've kind of found the courage to lean into a comment or that was made or a question that was happened. But there, are, there, ha there have been a few um, folks who have come up to me and told me um, how they were raised, whether it be as a white supremacist or um, as a person who was raised to segregate and with certain beliefs. And yeah, I just, I, I, I honor those folks who can be self-aware and assess their, their and, and look at themselves and look at their history and kind of figure out where they, where they are, you know, in, in, in history and, and in the current moment. And so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate those folks who can approach me with, with a conversation, an honest conversation. Yeah. That's oh, that's astounding. So when somebody comes up to you and says, "Well, I was raised as a white supremacist," mm -hmm. how I, how do you feel in that moment? Do you mm -hmm. have a moment of like, "Oh, I don't know where this is going," and am I safe in this space, or are you just kind of letting the story unfold before you make a decision? Yeah, and um, I'm just listening. Um, yeah. quite honestly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm human. And so, you know, of course, of course, thoughts come up, but I do my very best. And, I, and um, by God's grace, I think I've been able to be nonjudgmental, mm. um, not excusing right. Um, right. any behavior or or or, um, or, or expressions, but um, just being in a place to listen to what they have to say and what they want to express and what's going on in their hearts. And um, if I can say something that's helpful, that moves them forward, uh, you know, I try to do that. But, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have any fear. Um, I don't have any feelings of hate or any feelings of, um, you know, yeah, anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, just, just listening to, to their heart. And I will say that I don't know if there's any other context that I'd be able to do this outside of a space that claims um, to prioritize the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, like, I don't know if I could sit on a civic panel to discuss race. I, I'm just I'm not equipped to do that. But if we um, agree that, you know, the gospel and the tenets of the gospel are our roadmap and what we adhere to, if both of us agree to that, then we can have a conversation really about anything, I think, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a great perspective that uh, you have just changed, revolutionized the way I think about things. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that, finding that commonality in the first place and like and mm -hmm. as Christians, if we can agree that like the gospel is what we're abiding by, then like yeah. that opens the door. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, um, and, and um, you, you know, I have to trust and they have to trust that I'm there for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And if I share a perspective in the gospel, that is valid. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a certain sense of, um, of, of humility and confidence that I have to find to, you know, no. I'm here to share this perspective right now. And, 
you know, wherever it falls, you know, this is this is what I'm going to lift in in the moment. And it may go over really well and it may not. But that's OK. In two years, I may or may not be here anyway. So <laughs> this is the Methodist way. So I may as well be authentic <laughs> Yeah. while I'm here. Yeah. Um, that confidence piece is so key. Um, like, I'm glad that you said that because that's what, that's what I hear as you're talking through this is I'm sure that you have moments of uncertainty, but I hear a lot of confidence in how you approach both your, your time at these churches and, uh, conversations and interactions that are, that could be really problematic. Like you're just walking into it with a lot of grace, but also a lot of self-assuredness. And that's, I think that's a magic combination. I think I had to grow into it. And and you know that I've, text and emailed you, <laughs> you know, for, you know, for uh, resources and, and, and perspectives. And so, you know, I had to grow into it and reach out to people who have, um, who have been dedicated to understanding um, themselves and understanding kind of the, where society is as far, as far as race. And so I kind of had to grow into having some, having some confidence in the, in that space, lean on people when I needed to lean on people. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah. uh, just growing into it. Yeah. I, I'm happy that I can be a small part of that. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's so many good things. So speaking about growing things, I kind of want to pivot to the businesses that you run and how that functions in Atlanta, unless Ethan has anything that he wants to keep us on. No, I want to hear about the businesses. What do you do, DeAndre? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. What do I do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, uh, my, my, my brother and I, we own a co-work space um, here in Atlanta, and it's called X-Creative Spaces. And uh, when I moved away to North Carolina and, and came back, um, he joined a, um, a co-work space called Switch Yards, and he got me a membership, too. And it's for folks who kind of work from home. And um, rather than, you know, I'm having the cats crawl over them all day, they go to a kind of a shared workspace where there's coffee, where there's other creatives and, and pay away, pay way a lot, a lot less than they would if they had a traditional office space. And so, you know, we said, hey, we can do this. And that's kind of our approach to really a lot of things we do. We see it and we just we just kind of tried. And so we opened a space in the Edgewood, um, an Edgewood Avenue is kind of the MLK corridor, um, very historic um, corridor here um, in Atlanta. And we do co-work and we do um, um, event space. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's providing a space for leaders. And I and I and I think it's kind of similar to what um, I hope to do at church. Um, we haven't quite gotten there yet, you know, to provide a space for people and uh, a space for leaders who can come and do things and try things. That's kind of not what the church is, you know, right now. It's kind of a just a space to come for Sunday morning and kind of go back home. And so I'm trying to make it into um, something more than what it is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we provide a space for leaders um, to, to collaborate, to work, and uh, to do something great. And uh, we also... Um, um, formed a company called Cowork Bros. And uh, we train um, people on how to open their own co-work space or commercial space owners on how to monetize their spaces, churches on how to monetize their spaces that are idle for uh, for most of the week. Yeah, that's, that is the exact right idea for churches. To mm-hmm. I, The church that I interned at um, during seminary, they had uh, an education building that used to house like a preschool, but mm-hmm. there's not kids in that community anymore. Or if they are, they go to the expensive preschool closer to DC because we are in the DC area. And uh, this building was just sitting empty and mm-hmm. classrooms were just not getting used. And yeah. that was the senior pastor at the time, her big 
push to the congregation was let's really think about how we can use these spaces and Mm -hmm. we have people working from home in the area how can we redesign this space for to make it a co-working space and they just didn't have the tools to do it but like i i think you're absolutely on point with that yeah yeah thank you so what goes into making a good co-working space how does that work what do you how do you rent it out to people like give tell me some logistics yeah um we, we've come to understand that design is really, really important. Mm. Um, how people feel when they enter the space, what you communicate to people when, when you enter the space. And when we first started, uh, Bernard and I went and got furniture and it looked like a dude smoking lounge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, his wife came on board and we, um, we got some designers on our, t- on our team and they kind of rethought our space. What type of furniture needs to be in here? What the furniture communicates? What, what colors do the walls need to be? And, uh, and when we kind of reintroduce ourselves to the market with that new design, um, um, that it, it was really key in attracting people who were willing to pay you know, for the service because it made them feel a certain kind of way when they walked in. So design is really important. And um, being really clear on the value that your product offers um, is really important. Um, if, if people can see that upfront and understand how you meet their need and how it's a value to them, um, that's really important. And uh, creating, um, kind of a, it's, it's not a, a mystique of, um, it's not exclusivity, but to help people understand that they're in a, they're in a, they're in a neat space. This is a, this is, this is an important space that you're in, the space that you're in. Um, it really matters. And then finally, I say, um, having, a having a mission that matters, but having a mission that matters is, is, uh, you know, it's really important. Purpose is kind of foundational for us and knowing why we are here. And why we do what it is that we do is really to provide a space for leaders um, to do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, folks like us who like to do stuff and uh, we provide a space for them, for them to do that. Yeah. Well, and it just strikes me that like churches did used to be this place in the community where people would gather and yeah. where yeah. leaders would gather and have important conversations. And yeah. they're not that anymore mm-hmm. because communities have changed. But how can we use a model like this to um, to bring community leaders together in a space just to be able to um, to to let people realize that, like, we're still here and like mm-hmm. the churches are still here. Yeah. And in some communities, they are the, the biggest building to have yep. uh, any meetings, any community gatherings yeah. like it, it just it seems like this is a really natural fit. Yeah, uh, that's a great point that you know, the church used to be, you know, the space, the center of community um, is not that anymore. And I think it's because a lot of church people, Joe, don't want it to be. Mm. I mean, if they really, if they're really honest about it, they don't want it to be the center of the community. They want it to be their community with, with, with their people um, because it's their stained glass windows, it's their pew, their seat, their Sunday school class, their memories, mm. um, their burial plot, you know, let's yep. not change anything until it's my, you know, and so um, I, I, a lot of church members don't want it to be anything except anything except their own. Um, yeah. And um, like if you if you if you would tell a church in one year, your space is going to be energized, it's going to be buzzing, it's going to be monetized. There are going to be people here being served and serving others. And you still have your one hour slot on Sunday morning. OK, you'll still have your slot. But the sign is going to come down Mm, and the pews are going to be chairs. 
um, they would choose the pews and the sign before they would choose their space to be energized and enlivened throughout the week. And uh, it's just allegiance to stuff that doesn't matter anymore. I can imagine at one point, and I honor that at one point, Aunt Sadie went into her savings and gave $1,000 for that stained glass window. And that's a big deal. Or a family dedicated, you know, $500 for that pew. And it's, and it's a big deal. And for some people, it's more important than advancing into whatever new iteration of that building or even church community it could, it could be. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 an, it's become an idol, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> you know, church, church, churches worship in idols. <laughs> I think the other thing that's sort of present is um, you talked about how most church people, and I think this is very true, most church people see their church as their community and are not actually interested in, you know, making their making that church community into a vital part of the surrounding community. I think it's mostly because most church people just don't like their communities anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I do. I, I think that, that most of the complaints that I get as a pastor you know, the kind of random complaints that, that church people like to, to throw out. It's just how different and gone to, to hell and, and all of this bad stuff that their the surrounding town or any of this stuff is. And so without having any love for where they live or without having any love for their neighbor, there's really no reason for them to consider that, well, this building, this, this stuff that we have yeah. could be a really vital and important source Wow. of service for, for yeah. folks outside of it. Man, you just said a lot, but it's real and it's, and it's true. And to think that, yeah, disciples of Jesus <laughs> would rather not engage and love the world, the world around them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe this is a, a question that's too big for the scope of the podcast, but how do we get people to love their community again? Yeah. Like, how do we get church people to care what's outside of their doors? Yeah, um, I, I, I've been trying. Um, mm-hmm. Last last month, I preached a series called 2047. And it was about, um, you know, 25 years from now. What, what, what would these churches be like 20, 25 years from now? And um, and uh, some folks for the first time thought about, well, well, well one lady said to me, well, and, and she's already, you know, 70. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, hopefully somebody will be willing me in here to handle the business. Wow. <laughs> wow. You, you know, and, and you know, and um, yeah, and, and some folks thought about for the first time that this church will exist without them. Hmm. And rather than it being a celebratory thing, it was like, it was painful, you know? And so, and so I think we have to help people rethink what the church is and who it's for. I mean, maybe it's for us for a season. Maybe you can always serve us, maybe we'll buy a burial plot, right? But um, maybe, maybe at some point it's not for us anymore or it's for us in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to be able to celebrate and to cheer on who and what is there now doing what it is that, there that they're doing right now but I don't think there's an easy answer for that Joe that's kind of how I've been approaching it right now just trying to share perspectives that help people understand that it's okay if we take our hands off of the things that we think are so 
dear to us. Ooh. And um, yeah. And um, so I've been trying to make more real the faith that we profess, you know, is the faith more real than kind of these tangible um, symbols of the faith that we have. And um, for some it is, and for, and for some it isn't. And so I've been trying to help people think beyond um, Sunday morning and the, and the buildings that we see from week to week. And that's just maybe part of the puzzle because it is a big question, Joe, but that's kind of how I've been approaching it right now. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I it, it never occurred to me that people would be holding on to their positions at their yeah. churches. Yeah. Like yeah. I I always thought that people resented doing church work, you know, but some people know mm. that is that's the thing they love. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's only us. Nobody else will. <laughs> yeah. 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 You yeah. you can train somebody. You can train, you know, somebody to do what it is that you're doing, you know, if, if you want it to or or you could stop doing it. Yeah. And it'll get picked up maybe reluctantly. But <laughs> somebody will grow to love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried to get, and this is something that I've done in almost every position that I've had. I tried to get my administrative council people to write down what they do in their job. You know, you're mm -hmm. a trustee. What do you do? How can mm -hmm. you train the next person to be a trustee? Because yeah. nobody had done that they for them, do. right? Yeah. Nobody taught uh -huh. them how to do this. And I was like, mm -hmm. how can we do that? Uh, mm -hmm. And they hated it. <laughs> they did not oh, do it. It didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, and hate is probably a strong word. They, everybody was like, but why would we do this? Like, why would mm -hmm. I spend time on this? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, we, like, we need to have written down things so that we can pass this on to people. Yeah. And yeah, I was met with a lot of puzzlement and I never thought it was because they, um, they wanted to keep their jobs because a lot of people were very tired. You know, mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of people talked about how tired they were mm -hmm. and how disappointed they were that there wasn't a generation to pick up the reins after them. Yeah. But I also think that like, there's a pride in I'm the person making it happen and I want yeah. to keep making it happen. Yeah. And, and I get it because I, you know, I, I've, I've been there before, you know, before mm -hmm. when we moved to Western North Carolina from Atlanta, there's no way I can leave my church. How will it, how will it thrive? How will it live without me? You know, who am I now that I'm a trailing spouse, you know, in Western North Carolina? What, what do I, you know, who am I now? What, what will I feel my time and my life with, you know, right now? And so, yeah, I get it. You know, I'm not judging, just pointing out the reality that, you know, we all, we all are there sometimes that the, the things that we do define us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I realize I've said that a lot in the conversation, but I think you continue to be very right. Yeah. So kind of pivoting a little bit from that, is, is there a culture shock going from working in a business in Atlanta to coming up to Western North Carolina and running a church? And that's a silly question. There, of course, is. But how do you navigate that culture shock? And, and do you feel like you have two parts of yourself for it? Or do yeah. you feel like you swim in the waters? I, I did at first. Like um, when, when I first got to... Um, um, you know, the charge, they gave me a robe and, um, you know, I, I wore the robe mm -hmm. and it's too big for me. And, um, I'm not really comfortable in it. And I'm glad that, um, you know, I, I don't have to like obsess about what to wear each Sunday morning. Um, but a part of me likes to think about what I wear. <laughs> and right. so, uh, you know, I would, you know, jump out of a neat blazer that I like, you know, change, you know, throw that off, leave that in a car and put on a robe. And so, um, I, 
you know, th- th- that's just, you know, that's just wardrobe, right? Um, but it's just a small way that I, I'm leaning into being more myself. And um, and that's not from complete self-awareness. Somebody pointed out to me, it's like, you look different in North Carolina than you do at home. Like, mm. what's what's going on here? Like, why are you dressed like this here and just like, and so I've just, I've been be, attempting to be um, more of myself in both spaces. Um, because there's a little bit of me that's, uh, you know, that that's rural, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a little country in me. I'm from the South, you know, yeah. even though from the city. Um, but there, you know, there's a lot of me that's urban too. And so I'm just being more courageous and like, yeah, I'm going to wear my Braves cap <laughs> to church this week and not be afraid of being um, kind of categorized as like too urban or maybe somebody thinking I'm, you know, you know, I'm, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I'm just been leaning into being more of a, more of myself. I've grown to become more of myself um, in both, in both spaces, more authentically me in, in both spaces. Yeah. I like that. I, what a great metaphor. They gave me a robe and it's too big for me, but I, I wore it because yeah. they told me to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and so, um, yeah, of course the cultures are different, but, um, yeah, but I'm learning that I can be me in, in both spaces and, um, and, you know, folks will respond how they're supposed to respond, you know? Yeah. I, do your wife and daughter come to church with you or is it just you doing the church thing on Sundays? Yeah, they probably come with me about 50% of the time. And, okay. uh, you know, because of the drive, you know, Isabella goes to school here in Atlanta. And, uh, so about, about 50% of the time. And, um, yeah, it's just, just interesting. Um, when, when Sharon and I were married, I, you know, I was pastoring, you know, when she, when, when we were married. And so, um, you know, there wasn't this expectation that you, you're the first lady now, <laughs> or right. you're the, you're the co-pastor now. It's like, um, no, nah, you're, you're a person like with literally, um, with degrees more advanced than I have, she's always one step ahead. And so it's like, now you're your own person and, uh, you know, yeah. And so, so they come up probably about 50% of the time, but not out of obligation. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm happy that they, you know, they choose to be with me, you know, from, uh, from week to week, from Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Ethan has talked about how Adrea loves church uh, Mm -hmm. because Adrea loves the attention she gets at church. How does your daughter (laughs) feel about church? Um, uh, Well, she likes to do things. She likes to be in new spaces. And so it depends on her. Really, it just depends on her mood from, you know, (laughs) from Sunday to Sunday. Um, But I think um, we we are, um, as we're raising her, we're we're allowing her to um, say hello when she wants to say hello. Mm. and to not say hello when she doesn't feel safe to say hello. And also, I'm at the same time teaching her that it is culturally appropriate um, to speak when you walk into a room and to respond when somebody says, how are you? Um, And to say either thank you or I think so too, (laughs) when somebody compliments her dress, right? (laughs) You don't have to give the obligatory obligatory, uh, thank you, but you can say, I think so too, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, and so it's kind of a balance of, um, you know, letting her be herself in the space and also helping her kind of grow up and know how to, um, you know, be in spaces as, as a person among other people. But, uh, but generally, she likes getting out and doing things and being in new spaces and environments. And, uh, and she likes to, 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 to hear daddy preach. And she, uh, she generally enjoys being in, in service. Though. Hmm. I was waiting to see if uh, Ethan had anything to jump in with. <laughs> No, I think that's great. You know, that's that's similar to my situation. 
uh, right now, my my wife really isn't into this stuff, you know. <laughs> and I understand that she met me before I was into this stuff, and so I I don't ever, you know, I don't believe I wouldn't do this either anyway. But like, I don't believe in trying to pressure her to come to church or make an appearance or anything like that. Um, you know, and so I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. You're just yeah. hearing, hearing how you kind of navigate that with your family, I think confirms a, a lot of the stuff that I, I do. Yeah. Um, do you get, do you ever get any pushback against that from church folks? Um, not directly, but you know, folks will ask, you know, where, you know, where's, you know, where's your family, you know, things like that. And so, I may say they're at home eating breakfast or at home in their PJs or, you know, whatever it is that, that, that they're doing. And so, uh, yeah, but yeah, not, not directly, but you can kind of hear, you know, what, what, what folks are really asking sometimes. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I show up ready to do what I'm called to do. And yeah. they, you, they didn't call your family, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. exactly. And so, so Sheree and I are committed to um, supporting each other uh, vocationally the very best way that we can. And um, yeah, you know, and yeah, and so that, that that's just, it's kind of where it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Sorry, I'm just very excited for your family that like, and for your daughter that she gets to like go to church and like see people and explore things, but also that she has the sense that she can like take a compliment. Like you're, <laughs> you're just doing a great job parenting. Thank just, you. Just Thank from you. everything you said, just that. I'm Thank so you. excited for, for her Thank life. You. Because uh, I feel like previous generations, uh, well, so this this might be a cultural thing, and so I might just be speaking out of my experience, but I feel like previous generations of people were not... Um, Uh, like taking a compliment you had to be like no 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 don't tell me nice things about myself and that autonomy of like um of I don't have to engage with somebody if I don't want to I think that we're teaching our kids that like the future generation that but I feel like previous generations didn't have that autonomy and so they there's some resentment is what I feel among white Mm. folk but I don't know how that translates culturally well, I, I, yeah, I, I think across the board, um, because, you know, you're supposed to raise your children a certain kind of way. And so we're, 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 we're trusting that she'll grow up to be, a, you know, a, a wonderful adult. Right now, she's a four-year-old. And so, you know, and even the things that we don't do, you know, exactly right, you know, she'll, she'll, <laughs> she'll overcome, hopefully, by God's grace. And so, um, yeah, and so we're, we're letting her be four. Like on this earth for four years. And so if she doesn't feel like talking in a particular moment, what does it mean to honor that? To trust your feelings, to trust um, your instincts, you know, at a particular time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe when she's seven, we'll say, OK, you know, you're seven now. You need to you need to you, you need to you need to speak when you walk into like you're over four foot tall. That's kind of the benchmark for, <laughs> you know, now you're accountable for saying hi when you walk into a space. And so <laughs> so we're letting her. uh learn to trust our feelings and but at the same time you know, doing our best to teach her what's kind of um you know culturally culturally respectful you know to do mm-hmm. yeah oh i love that i love the four foot tall rule like now you're in <laughs> people's eyesight you have to say something <laughs> oh goodness this this has just been such a great conversation i'm i'm sorry i'm taking i've taken us in all sorts of different directions it's been fun um, thank you I kind of wanted to uh, to wrap up with talking about the Vitality team um, mm-hmm. and talking about the Juneteenth service, if you would mm-hmm. 
comfortable talking about that uh comfortable if you want to talk about that give me give me your thoughts yeah you know last year was the first year and it was a it's a group of people who got together to um kind of discern um actually Lake Junaluska reached out to um uh, to the district to do a, a Black Lives Matter service. Mm-hmm. And uh, a whole cross-section of folks got on the phone and we kind of discerned maybe maybe a December Black Lives Matter service is good, but maybe we can do something different. And uh, we just, uh, it kind of morphed into a Juneteenth celebration and it was perfect timing. And, um, you know, as much as I critique kind of the meetings and uh, of, uh, and, um, you know, how long it takes for decisions to be made and, oh, let's get input from this person and that person. That's not exactly entrepreneurial. It's like the part of me that's like, no, this, let's, let's get this done. And if it's wrong, we'll do it better the next time. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we, we just kind of, we kind of slow cooked it. And it was refreshing to see the Holy Spirit working kind of in our slow process. And it developed to something beyond, you know, probably what either of us could have done on our own. And it was, ended up being a Juneteenth worship service at Lake Junaluska. And it was wonderful. Like hundreds of people came. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again this year. And, um, and um, of course, Juneteenth falls on a Sunday this year. And so it'll be a, you know, an afternoon celebration. I just think it's a wonderful tradition um, that, that, that's developing at, at the uh, Nancy Weldon um, Outdoor Gym um, over at Lake J. And so um, and it's, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful expression of, of, of God's grace and uh, his intention. Um, uh, I, we, were, we were coming back from the beach. Um, my family and I, and I told them, I said, this was the best vacation I've ever had. And, uh, and I said, what do y'all think? And Isabella said, no. I said, what's the best vacation you've ever had? She said, Lake J. <laughs> I love so that. it's like the, the, the idea that a Juneteenth celebration, it was the bouncy houses more than anything, right? The bouncy houses and the funnel cakes, but the idea that a Juneteenth, you know, celebration in Western North Carolina could be like a strong positive memory for her is kind of a big deal for me. And so uh yeah, so I'm grateful for it in that regard. And so of course I'm, I'm glad that you know, you know, people showed up and uh and participated, but that it can make a mark on people's minds and hearts was a was a really big deal. I'm gonna cry. Oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember those meetings, the the yep. meetings of trying to figure out what would a Black Lives Matter service look like and yep. and who can we evolve and all this kind of stuff and getting close to the time and realizing this is not this is not what it needs to be. We mm-hmm. need a lot more community buy-in. We need to yep. talk to a lot of other people. Um, yep. and I like I have a Oh, is this feeling regret? It might be regret. I I'm sad that I wasn't there to see that kind of come to fruition, but I'm so Mm. glad that it Mm -hmm. did. Like I'm, uh, you know, that's releasing that position, right. That like I wasn't there and something better than anything I could have done to happen. Yeah. But but Joe, the, the the groundwork Mm. and, um, input and the challenge, well, not even really challenge, just perspective and insight and information. (laughs) that you brought was invaluable. You know, it, it, you know, helped us to continually open our hearts and our minds to see broader, you know, broader, broader, no challenge that thought. Think of, you know, and so, yeah. And so your, your, your input like is is there, it's indelible. (laughs) Your mark is there. You know how, uh, you you know, uh, when folks are building a foundation, they kind of inscribe their name on Like your name is, is there (laughs) in Mm. the foundation. Yeah. I felt like a jerk some of the time in those meetings because I'd be like, 
we got to do something, but also you got to be better. Like that was my, <laughs> that's how I felt all the time. Yeah. But people, yeah. people were really faithful. Like they really stuck yeah. with it. And received yeah. Changes. And so, uh, yeah, j- j- you're really courageous. Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. I like Ethan's, nobody's going to see Ethan's facial expression there. But it was a good one. <laughs> well, well, you present courageously. How about that? <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Well, so we're we're coming up on the end of our discussion. Ethan, is there a last question you want to throw out? DeAndre, is there anything you want to circle back around to in our last couple minutes? No, I just say thank thank you uh, thank you for the invitation. Um, thank you for the platform, and uh, thank you for the uh, kind of uh, the fun fodder for dialogue that you guys throw out there um, from from week to week. I appreciate um, being a part of it. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Ethan, you got anything? Great. Glad to be a part of it. Yeah. And DeAndre, we'll drop links to all of your things in the description. So send me what you want to promote so people can find you. Not that we have a huge following in Atlanta, but if we become (laughs) famous one day, you know, it'll be there. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. Well, Ethan, you want to sign us off? Absolutely. Guys, thanks for listening. It's been an episode of Hell's a Pastor. We're Ethan and Joe and DeAndre, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptive disciples, on Twitter at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, sign cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and love one another, friends. <laughs>